New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. My wonderful co-host Andrea is away today. I'm very happy to say that after a lot of rain where I live, the sun is shining and I'm so excited. But sunshine and even cloudy days means sunscreen. So I want to start by thanking our fantastic sponsor this month, Goddess Garden. Did you know that the reefs are disappearing twice as fast as rainforests? It's crazy. And a big culprit of this is chemical sunscreens. Okay, so they're bad for the environment. They cause endocrine disruption in corals, just like they do in people. So what you really want to do is you want to go to goddessgarden.com and they have a new SPF 50 for the whole family. Gentle on you, gentle on the reefs. Okay. So speaking of gentle, we need all, we need to be nicer to ourselves. So I'm super excited to have the wonderful Carly Pollock on the program. I love her book, Feed Your Soul, Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently and Live Fulfilled. Carly, hello. Hello. Wow. I did not know that thing about the sunscreen, by the way. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I'd never even thought of the reef. Uh, Look at how selfishly I was just thinking about us. Oh, no. You know, it's interesting because I think I read that in Hawaii now, they're banning certain sunscreens because of the way they're affecting the reefs. But I don't think a lot of people realized it. So I'm super glad that uh, you got to learn about that. And uh, also that uh, it's a great thing to get. I love my I love my goddess garden. I also love your book. Again, Feed Your Soul. I love in the introduction where you write mental stream. Now, I'm not the best at reading numbers. I was in a special class when I was a kid for math because I could never (laughs) read the big numbers. Let's see see if I've improved since then. Mental stream number 1,235,796. I am so sick of dieting. There has got to be a more productive way to use my mental energy. I should be curing cancer, fighting for women's rights, or helping starving children in Africa. I bet I went to Africa. I would totally lose weight. Hillary Clinton has a spare tire, but does she obsess over it? No. She's thinking about way more important things and whether or not this morning's treadmill purgatory canceled out last night's pizza pizza binge from hell. Uh, I love this too. I bet Maya Angelou never ate a muffin and then shit talked herself. Is there ever going to be a time when I don't have to think about this? Stop the insanity, Carly. Okay, Carly, we all do this. That's the problem. That's why I said be kinder to the reefs and be kinder to ourselves. So talk about this mental stream and how you were able to get a hold of it. Notice how the mental stream, either we are super stuck in it and we are guilting ourselves for eating the food or we're one step removed from it, but we're still guilting ourselves for guilting ourselves. I mean, that that right. was that mental stream that I had, that I was so annoyed that food and the obsession with my body had taken up so much of my life when I knew that there were these women and pioneers doing so much more. I was even upset with myself for being upset. So that's funny how the <laughs> mind can... Uh, you know, corrode our thinking even when we're one step removed from it. How I started to separate from this voice, and I will say that this is completely a, a daily practice. There is no mastery where I get to check it off a list and say, okay, I am now completely unidentified with the fear-based thoughts that my mind tells me. But the way I started to disidentify with it was really coming to a breaking point where I realized what I was doing wasn't working. And what I was doing was allowing my mind to convince me that I needed to focus on food if I wanted to lose weight and that I needed to focus on exercise. But I didn't place any importance 
to the spiritual path that I had as a woman, to understanding what was creating my daily emotional state, to have a to have a comprehension of the connection between being happy and, and being in a place of surrender and how much easier it was to create consistent, positive, permanent behavior change. Right. And that means looking at what's going on inside of you, right? It's not even so much about the food in the beginning. It's about, okay, what? I'm I'm not having a good day. I'm going to grab this. You have something failure. What was that? Failure equals French fries or something like that. Yeah. But we have to look at the way we think about <laughs> yeah. things, right? So talk to us about that. And how did you get in touch with that? Because, you know, I'm, I'm struggling now because I've always been super thin and, you know, I'm in my early fifties now. And I'm like, what, is, what the hell? Like, what is this mush on my arm? I, like my daughter, my 14 year old daughter will come up and go, Oh, I love how your <laughs> arms are mushy, mom. I'm like, gee, thanks, honey. And I work out, right? But there are certain <laughs> But I'm also like, okay, you should definitely admit- send her away to some horrible boarding school. I love thinner is that you just torture. <laughs> <laughs> well, to answer your but anyway, question, go. So yeah, I'm just saying it's tough, it but there's is, also nature, is, right? It mm-hmm. is even harder <laughs> for women and men, but especially women who have always been thin. That was never my, uh, when I was younger, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will resonate with this. If I ate clean, I lost weight. But if I did not eat clean, I gained weight and I was overweight. It was, it was harder for me to be at a natural weight than someone else who just sat there, you know, sat in that place where regardless of what they ate when they were younger, their metabolism basically you know, took up the slack. And I right. now look back, I felt so jealous of those of those girls and of those women who didn't have to do much to look good on the outside. And now I realize that I'm really grateful that my outside is a reflection of all the self-love and all of the deeper work that I'm doing because it is harder for you to turn around one day and say, wow, I never had to look at this or had to look within because my body wasn't a way that my soul was communicating to me. And now all of a sudden it is. So as much as we might be hearing the story and go, hey, you skinny little, you know, <laughs> we're jealous <laughs> of you. You deserve those those flabby arms now. Is I, I really understand that it's, it's even harder versus a lifetime of knowing that your plate is a reflection of your inner state. And I will say that it's not not about the food, because I really feel like right now. Sure. There's these two philosophies floating around, and one is, you know, that it has nothing to do with the food and that it's all your emotional state and and become a, you know, conscious eater and it will all fall into place and be easy for you. And that's just not true. But the other school of thought is the incessant diets and the paleo whole 30 cleanses and the ketogenic blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't take (laughs) any importance into looking at the spiritual process of understanding how our feelings, thoughts, emotional state, where we are in our path, uh, really connects to our diet, our willpower, you know, discipline and, and our overall external bodies and, and our health. And so I really combine the two. Yes, of course, a big part of this is, is food and understanding what works for you and not eating the cookies at 9 p.m. But a much bigger part of this is what drives us to make those decisions day in and day out 
And if we don't look at the underlying thoughts and stories that lead me to eat that cookie, then you'll just feel like you are stuck in this diet-induced groundhog day where you do the same thing Monday through Friday. The weekends are, you know, a uh, a break free from food prison. And then every Monday you find yourself back in the same exact spot. Yeah. And that's a hard spot to be in. You know, I have to say, I love the humor in the book. Chapter five, one size fits no one. And so, and it's a little tight in the crotch. <laughs> Just absolutely. <laughs> but it was that really cracked well, First me up. of all, I am, mm-hmm. <laughs> I am a sassy New Yorker. So there had to be I love it. some humor in it because that is my personality. But also, we have been plagued with with the chronic dieting and the body shaming, and it all feels so serious sometimes. And it is important to bring any lightness that we possibly can to this path, or else it all just feels so draining and and serious. And we look in the mirror, and there's that you know extreme hatred, and there there is an availability of a little bit of humor along the way to finding your best diet and and your best body. And the book is definitely a representation of that. Well, I really like that because I don't think a diet is necessarily a bad thing either in terms of, for example, I have a lot of food sensitivities. So the last we we tried in April, we went away and I ate whatever I wanted, but I ended up feeling absolutely like crap because I'm sensitive to corn and soy and wheat and dairy and, you know, you name it. So for the last few weeks, I've literally been eating only whole foods. So I'll have shrimp and avocado for breakfast, and then I'll have chicken and a huge salad at lunch. And then maybe I'll have a little grass-fed steak and a a truckload of vegetables. And I wake up every day clear-headed. I feel amazing. So I have a lot more motivation to do that, I think, because I think sometimes, and this is going to sound crazy, but sometimes I'm grateful for my food sensitivities. I mean, they kind of stink. But at the same time, like I had, I lost two best friends last year. I was absolutely crushed and uh, they both passed away. And I literally would have sat home and ate peanut butter sandwiches nonstop, but I can't because I would feel crappy. So I think there was something you said in this, you have the skimmer's delight where you say, um, you can't transcend all diet dogma by making it a practice to eat foods that are unprocessed and alive. Foods that rot and spoil make you feel alive. And I thought that's kind of what I'm doing. That was my long way of saying that. But I think if you have, you need to find more motivation to avoid the crap if you're not going to feel, you might gain weight from it, but if you keep going along your merry way, it's a little tougher. Does that make sense? Yeah. Notice how the mind tried to convince you in that moment that you were grieving the loss of your friend, that the mind said to you, and probably was a whisper, hey, if you eat this peanut butter sandwich, you are going to feel better and somehow it's going to take the sting and the pain out of losing your friend. And we both know that that's not true. And that food doesn't comfort us, but merely numbs us or distracts us for the moment. And then after we've eaten it, we have two problems, not one. We have the original problem, which is why we went for the food in the first place. And now we have a Mm -hmm. secondary problem, which is feeling bloated, guilty, overweight, whatever the consequences of eating that food when we weren't physically hungry. And there's many times where my mind is trying to convince me to go into some eating behaviors, saying that it will comfort me in some way. And my mantra is simply, Carly, do you want two problems or one problem? Because <laughs> one, I'm not great at math either. <laughs> right. But one problem sounds much more doable to me to try to figure out. And, you know, we know that the only way 
to shift our emotions is to go through them and is to feel them and shift the way we're thinking about things. And that's what I mean when I talk about in the book that you can use your emotional state to really understand so much more deeply about yourself and where you are in your path to spirituality. And I want to mention that I keep talking about spirituality in your path and Many listeners might say, well, what do you mean by that, especially in relation to food? I believe my spiritual path is starting to acquire beliefs for me, creating my my belief system that allows me to practice surrender, compassion, patience, present moment awareness. Basically, my belief system allows me to override the fear-based chaos of the mind and get to a place where I feel free from the fear and the chaos mm. that the mind is trying to convince me of. And these belief, beliefs are part of your belief system is the very same thing that gets you to eat the salad day in and day out and avoid the cookies. And there is no connection of that with our traditional diet culture right now. Mm. Yeah, that is a really good point. And I think coming to that way of thinking is so important. Like for me, like I said, I have my own motivation of, okay, I could be real. I'm really depressed that my friends passed away and now I can't get out of bed because I eat 25 peanut butter sandwiches. Whereas instead I'm saying, okay, I'm really having a hard time and I want to function as well as possible because I need to function as well as possible because I'm already having it. You see what I mean? So it's almost ironic when we try to use food to escape, right? When I'm just going to feel crappier or you're going to have all that. If you don't physically feel crappier, you might have all that guilt and that mental, you know, chatter, just making things worse. And the book allows you to go deeper, but but the example of going deeper would be this. Your grief about your friend's passing comes from a belief that you were taught about death being final and, you know, you'll never see that person again. And so the mind starts to go, I'll never see this person again. I'll never hear their voice again. I remember when my uncle died, I had a voicemail Mm -hmm. from him a day before he died. And I would listen to that voicemail and I was in such grief of my mind continuing to tell me I'll never hear his voice again. And then I got a new phone and they promised me that the voicemails would transfer over and it didn't. And in that first realization that I no longer had that voicemail, I was so upset and angry and, and, um, you know, I just felt that loss all over again. And then I realized at the root, I need to change my story about this. This isn't about his voice. I can hear his voice. Are you kidding me? I can hear his voice as clear as day uh, when I think about him. And my belief about death is ultimately what's going to create my emotion around this. So if I have a different belief, which let's just say, for example, is that energetically, he, his soul has continued on and I still can be connected to him when I think about him and talk to him and that it's really the grief over the physical loss of that person, then my emotions start to shift and I start to feel more connected. And now I don't need food to shift my emotion because I've used a different belief to shift it. So that's going far deeper than um, oh, yeah. that next level that you mentioned is hey, recognizing that that peanut butter sandwich is not going to make you feel better and you've got to function and you've got to get up. And that's a great narrative. But if we go even deeper and shift your belief about death and the finality of losing your friend, now you start to feel in your nervous system a sense of peace and surrender and allowing that it's not even about the peanut butter sandwich anymore. 
Right. That is so interesting. I want to get into some practical stuff that you have in chapter six, uh, conscious eating. I love these suggestions. Center yourself before each meal or snack. Eat and do nothing else. Love foods that love you back. Eat uh, as if you're a professional food critic. Halfway through your meal, take a breather. I, I love this. I have to say, it's funny. The other day, a friend uh, texted me and I hadn't talked to him for a while and he was hoping we could, you know, chat. And I said, well, I'm about to eat lunch. And he said, well, let's just get, you know, can you text and eat lunch? I said, no, when I eat, I like to be super mindful and really just present with the food. And he was like, okay, Lisa, you know, woo -woo. <laughs> okay, you know I was like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. yeah. yeah I know. Okay. Freak. Goodbye. But, um, you know, no, but it makes a big difference. And, and I, I enjoy my food more. I eat slower. I savor it. So those suggestions are really great. So talk to us about these. <laughs> I mean, do you do all these? Uh, do you, you know, try to center yourself? And by center yourself, what does that mean exactly? I try to do all of these at every meal. I'm not mm -hmm. always as successful as I'd like to be. Again, it's always a work in progress. Even the person myself who's teaching these things over and over again is still an imperfect human. So to everybody listening who's of the you know recovering perfectionist, just know that you won't always do the best job of this at every meal. But uh, to center yourself before a meal means before you just dive in, let go of whatever you were doing before. Take right. a deep breath. Think about what you're about to engage in. Okay, I'm about to eat a meal. Here is my outcome for the meal. I want to feel satisfied, but not full. I want this food to nourish every cell of my body. I, you know, perhaps you are in the practice of thanking the food that's in front of you. And you just center. You just get focused on right. what you're about to do. Because many of us have just come from a meeting, 10 emails, a client interaction, a phone call with our husband, kids, partner, whatever. And then we just start eating the frustration or hurried emotion, which was whatever we were experiencing before we were about to jump in. So centering yourself is just getting focused on what you're about to do. Mm. Now, you talk a little bit about uh, in the book about willpower and discipline. And you say that uh, in the book, you write that the opposite of fear is love. Uh, then the opposite of willpower is discipline. So talk to us about this. We typically use the words willpower and discipline interchangeably, but mm -hmm. I personally feel right. like they could not be further apart. When someone's using willpower, the truth is that we really want to engage in the, let's say we're at, let's just say you're at a restaurant, you're at, a, you're at an Italian restaurant and the bread basket with the olive oil comes down, it comes, you know, lands on the table and using willpower the feeling is that we really want to eat that food, but we can't because of some fear-based <laughs> story, because bathing suit season is upon us, because I've already right. eaten so horribly the whole week. And then we sit there with this back and forth, angel-devil type scenario. Should I eat it? Should I not eat it? And even when we don't engage in the food, you'll notice when you use willpower that afterward you just feel exhausted. You maybe feel a little discouraged, a little annoyed. So yeah, you didn't eat the bread and olive oil, but you just feel restricted. Like, man, this diet is really killing me. And then three days later, you overeat, you know, tortilla chips and salsa at somebody's house mm -hmm. and you don't connect it. But the truth is, is that we, we feel like we need to explode right. if we use too much willpower. The difference in discipline is that I can look at that bread and olive oil at the table and say, Okay, I love the way this tastes, but 
I love me more and I have a clear vision and I love my vision and this isn't part of it. So I'm not going to eat this, not because I can't, but because I choose not to. And there's such a more empowered feeling around it. And I don't really want to eat it. In fact, I don't want to eat it. And then I leave the restaurant and I'm so proud of myself. And discipline comes from a place of love, self-love, in fact. And, and you know, I practice discipline every single day, even if it has nothing to do with the food. Maybe it's your, your have resistance getting up to really for the day, you want to press snooze or taking a cold shower or getting up to, you know, cook dinner. And anytime I start to feel resistance towards anything, I think this is an opportunity for me to practice discipline. And I push through that resistance. And I know that I'm pushing through from a place of love because I've decided when I was in clarity that doing these day-to-day practices we're going to add up to me living out my best life, which is what we all deserve. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, Carly, I want to mention that you're the founder of Nutritional Wisdom, a thriving private practice based in Austin, Texas. I've always wanted to go to Austin. Now I have someone to visit, a certified clinical nutritionist with a master's degree mm-hmm. in holistic nutrition. <laughs> Carly has been awarded best nutritionist in Austin five years running and has helped more than 15,000 people achieve their health and happiness goals. Carly, that is so wonderful. And you are just absolutely gorgeous. I love the picture of you on the back of the book. You're just glowing and you look so happy and I just feel your passion. I'm so excited that you came on the show today. You'll have to come back. There's so much more to talk about. Tell us how we can get your fabulous book, Feed Your Soul nutritional wisdom to lose weight permanently and live fulfilled? And can people work with you uh, on FaceTime or Skype or do you have to be in Austin? Yes. Well, thank you for all of those kind words. First, where they can get the book, Feed Your Soul, would be Amazon is probably the easiest space, but also IndieBound and Barnes & Noble throughout the country. And I do still take on a limited number of clients. I have a private practice here in Austin, as you mentioned, Nutritional Wisdom, And I feel I have the best coaches in the world. I have an amazing team of women who are highly trained, and we work with people all over the country, even some out of the country. I take on a very limited uh, amount of clients every few months as I'm doing a lot of speaking and a lot of things with the book, but I am still seeing clients. And if anyone wants to inquire more about one-on-one coaching, I suggest they go to nutritionalwisdom.com and shoot us an email and we'll get you all the information. And I really recommend that if this is something that you have struggled with for years and years, please don't do it alone. Yes, read the book and and gain some of that wisdom. But in order to take information from a book and really apply it into your life, you really need a coach. Everyone should have some type of coach, whether it's a life coach, money coach. And if this is the thing that you really struggle with, then getting a holistic practitioner who is also a spiritual transformational coach is that next step for you. Oh, I think that's absolutely fantastic advice. Speaking of fantastic, I want to thank our sponsor again, Goddess Garden. Be sure to check them out. Protect yourself with their natural ingredients and protect the reefs. You can go to goddessgarden.com and now they have an SPF 50 that's safe for your whole family. I want to thank everyone for listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. I'm Lisa Davis. You can find me on Twitter at healthmediagal1, just a number one. Andrea at Andrea Donsky at Naturally Savvy and at your radio MD. Thanks so much and stay Stay well.